everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another week of the Bulletproof Hygiene podcast. This is Brittany, and tonight I have the immense pleasure of talking with Dr. Bart Sanchez, who recently came to work at the Spodak Dental Group, but who is well-known in our profession for many, many things, one of them being uh, his advanced knowledge of the temporal mandibular joint and treating TMJ disorders. So thank you so much for being here tonight, Dr. Bart. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And I'd love to just give kind of a formal interview here before we get going so that you kind of, if you're if you're not familiar with Dr. Bart, have a little bit more background information. So Dr. Bart comes from a family of dentists. Both his grandparents, along with two uncles and aunts, were all prosthodontists. And his passion for dentistry grew from watching his family, treating patients and transforming their smiles. He graduated from Temple University School of Dentistry and is accredited with the International Dental Implant Association. He's completed TMJ and sleep apnea training at the TMJ and sleep apnea center under the mentoring of Stephen Olmos. Saying that correctly, Olmos? Yes. Hyper Santos is a clinical instructor at the Rosenthal Institute's Aesthetic Advantage in New York University, and he is one of the youngest faculty to teach dentists cosmetic and comprehensive rehabilitative dentistry worldwide. His full mouth reconstruction education completed NYU's FMR program, and he's an active member of the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, the Academy of General Dentistry, Alpha Omega Dental Society, Dental XP, International Academy of Facial Aesthetics, Temple Dental Association, and Facial Art Dental Forum. Anything else? Anything else? Yeah. Uh, no. Voice to Men, ABC, BBD. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So really excited to have you here. Um, in all seriousness, your uh, resume slash CV is very impressive and extensive. So I am very excited to kind of hear from you on this topic. So we really want to dig tonight into how hygienists can really identify true TMJ issues, how we can help our patients palliatively and really kind of help us to understand when to refer to a specialist or recognize when further intervention is indicated. So kind of start with a general overview. Um, what are some of the most common temporomandibular joint or TMD issues you see and treat on a daily basis? So I like to break it down into just two classifications um, because, you know, you have the patients that come and say, oh, I have TMJ. But, you know, everyone has a TMJ. <laughs> it's important to diagnose whether it's um, articular or non-articular, meaning to say whether it's the muscles or it's truly uh, the joint and pathology. Uh, because if you miss that diagnosis from the start, no treatment will be effective whatsoever. Um, you may ask, actually uh, exacerbate the situation um, and you can cause other issues uh, as a result. 
But yeah, one of the most, I guess, common uh, Team J issues that I'll see, uh, it's typically due to trauma. Um, and that's just uh, disc displacement. I'm not going to break down the, the wormhole, but basically, you know, you have the disc and you have the condyle and they're supposed to travel together down the road. Um, and what happens is if the disc is uh, not in front or if it's not with the condyle and actually sits in the front, it's anterior displaced. And mm -hmm. what happens is um, that clicking that you'll hear is it actually hears the um, disc, hears the condyle and it'll click. And then upon opening, then maximum opening, it picks up. Uh, and then once you go back to closing, uh, if you hear that click again, another click, uh, it's a reciprocal click. Um, and that's returning back. And that's the disc sitting anterior to the position of the condyle, whereas typically it'll sit on top of it right there. So if you hear any clicking, clicking is not normal. Um, and that's usually a sign that there's some sort of pathology that's going on and it should be addressed. Um, it, I think it's what happens is with a lot of dentists, we don't get formal training um, with uh, the TMJ and mm -hmm. what we don't know, we don't treat. So we say, oh, clicking, that's fine. You, it doesn't hurt, you're fine. But what happens is uh, with those derangements is what happens is the clicking will turn to no clicking. And when there's no clicking, that means that the, this is actually never coming into contact. And then you start to get bone to bone contact. Oh no. Okay, so that so if there's no clicking after clicking it means that the disc is interiorly displaced kind of more permanently and now you have condyle in the skull. So what will happen early signs is acute. The body's telling you, Hey, listen to this. But remember there's there's no vascular there's no nerve bundles in those areas, so you're not gonna feel that pain. You're gonna hear it. Mm -hmm. But what happens is especially patients that have uh trauma, they get hit in the area. Um, that disc is displaced and they have limited opening. It's like a speed bump. It can't just go because uh, there's so much inflammation in the area. So what you do is you'll give them non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. So reduce the inflammation, you reduce the inflammation, um, not using steroids, and then eventually it'll go back. But sometimes they'll say, you know, doc, I, I still can't open a little bit much um, more. Then you give them the steroid. You, you know, you give them like a medial dose bag and all of a sudden it resolves. Um, but you have to treat the underlying issue. If it was trauma, then obviously don't get hit again. But if it's clenching and grinding, then you need to treat that um, and go through, you know, uh, testing. You go to uh, sleep studies uh, and just evaluate from there. Okay, so kind of the two most common ways you've seen this develop are with trauma and clenching and grinding? Uh, yep, those are two. I mean, trauma is number one. I mean, um, I went to school in Philly, uh, Temple, so a lot of trauma schools in North Philly. Then I moved to Washington, D.C., and I saw, you know, very, very interesting uh, enough is that those scooters that people rent, mm -hmm. I, saw, I saw, I would say, a handful of patients a month that had fallen off the scooters, and D.C. is notoriously known for potholes across the streets. So, you know, you rent one of those at night, you know, you're having a good time. You might have a little, you know, a couple of drinks in you. You don't see the bottle in you. <laughs> All of a sudden, um, you know, have uh, trauma to the uh, joint anterior disc displacement. I can imagine that sounds like a recipe for disaster, actually, like allowing access at any time at your fingertips to a bike with the combination of potholes is never a good thing. 
<laughs> no. You mentioned, um, you know, an actual like disc displacement versus musculature or yes. a muscular issue. Um, can you kind of help us differentiate or understand like what the difference is? Like, I, I understand conceptually, okay, the disc isn't displaced, but how could we kind of, um, how can we determine which is which? Or like, is it a disc displacement or is it just muscular? So one of the greatest ways to tell um, is I utilized a, um, it's this, it's called a quick splint basically. And basically you take bite registration material and you um, load it up on the tray. It looks like a, a small impression tray and you seat that and you have them bite down on it. And then what I do is on the um, underside of it is I'll mark it with a Sharpie and I'll have the patient wear it for about a week, two weeks, have them come back. Um, what you'll see is if they're clenching and grinding at night is you'll see actually where uh, patterns where you marked it with the Sharpie mm-hmm. uh, and you ask them, is the pain worsened or does it feel better? Um, if the pain um, went away, it was musculature because they're clenching and grinding. So they're working out their muscles so much and that's where that pain's coming from. Typically you'll have like tension type headaches up here on mm-hmm. the temple. Um, and it's you'll notice that it'll go away if they have a good night's sleep which is you know there there's many external signs you could see if they have baggy about uh, black uh, circles under the eye signs of not getting sleep um, abnormal wear facets there's just a long list I mean I look down their their mouth see mm-hmm. what class they are uh, Mount Patty class one, two, three. I the craziest thing is I actually look down their nose. I'm like, that one looks deviated. Uh, and you look for asymmetries. Um, nose deviated to the left, then maybe the right nostril might be compromised. You know, nasal valve compromised. Um, it's you know I I've been doing treating this for about almost five years now. I know a lot more than I did five years ago. But still, there's it's multifactorial. It's very challenging to um, to pick up on. But the biggest signs are, like I said, clicking. Mm-hmm. Um, if you hear crepitations, that's that grinding noise. That's bad. Um, at that point, it's bone to bone, um, and that's a chronic condition uh, that's been happening for quite some time, typically. So clicking for me is 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 a red flag. Okay, so you brought up, you know, upon examination and kind of ruling out whether it's just like muscular, masseter, temporalis, soreness, or like clicking, you know, indicating a disc issue. Um, And then you brought up, you know, airway and evaluating a person's breathing, the malampati, that deviation of the septum. Um, Probably you look at arch form, right, to see if it's like V-shaped or... uh, Omega shades and all that. Are premolars removed? That sort of thing. Is there a large tongue? Is there soft tissue in the way? Is the person overweight? All the risk factors, right? Or maybe we even do like um, a screen. I forget the one, the what it's called, the one that we use at Spodek, but you can do like a sleep screener to kind of rule that out. But yeah. I move, you know, obviously this podcast isn't meant to cover the entire topic of sleep and sleep apnea. In fact, I'm doing one in a couple of weeks with Dr. Deadly regarding this so that we can kind of really zone in on it and get more specific um but i do kind of want to look at the chicken or egg and this is a question later on 
of, you know, occlusal disease, MJ disorders, and airway issues. Because I can see them being all interrelated, but it's kind of unclear which one leads to what. And maybe this is kind of like a universal question or like a never-ending question, but I could imagine like, okay, occlusal issues, let's say malocclusion, right? Just um, generalized crowding. Like let's say someone has moderate upper and lower crowding. Occlusal wear kind of occurs, chipping, um, either breaking over time. That's kind of resulting in that hyperextension of the TMJ joints, right? Like we're losing that vertical dimension and kind of um, collapsing, right? The person's developing a collapse flight. So I would imagine that pressure on the disc and on dial and, and what's going on in the TMJ, right? And helping the airway to collapse, I would imagine too, because it's a lot of facial soft tissue collapsing. I would imagine that affects the neck, right? Anything that you kind of see in your opinion, what is the chicken and egg here? Like what thing causes, contributes to one another? How are they all kind of interrelated, I guess is my question. Okay. So I want to preface this with the fact that I'm a highly restorative dentist and many restorative dentists. I mean, at least this is a hygiene podcast, but um, you have to understand that it's the joint that dictates the positioning of the teeth because if the joint's not in the proper position, then the teeth are not going to be in the proper position. Uh, if you put the teeth in the proper position, uh, th let's just say they're straight, right? Um, now the teeth is dictating the position of the joint. This joint may not be in the right position, but you got some straight teeth. Let me tell you, you know, mm -hmm. they look great. Mm -hmm. The joint has to be in the proper position. Then you restore the teeth to the joint position. That's the proper way to do things. Um, when I make my uh, orthotic appliances at night, I incorporate what's called the phonetic bite. And basically the phonetic bite, uh, it's the, it's the, um, space between the teeth at which you create maximum tonus, um, in the, uh, in the, uh, soft tissue in the upper arch and palate. So basically when you wear this appliance at night, it holds the lower jaw in a fixed position so that you create maximum tonus in the airway, um, so that you can breathe properly. Cause the nose is the primary organ for breathing, you know? warms, uh, filtrates, and humidifies the air. Uh, you're not supposed to be breathing through your mouth because then you bypass all that. You bypass the filtration, the warming, and the humidification of the air. Mm -hmm. um, so when you do that, you have that tonus in your airway, the nose can breathe. Um, and I mean, that's at night what happens is when you're unconscious, you don't know what you're doing. Body can't control, but the body wants to breathe. Uh, so it tries to find that comfortable position, but then you're moving, you're tossing, you're turning, uh, and that your body is like, oh, you just moved to the right. Now I got to move my teeth here just so I can create tonus in this airway. And then I can get the air going down, um, you know, from the nose uh, to the lungs. Mm -hmm. But then if you move again, you lose that tonus. Um, when you wear those orthotic devices at night, it keeps it contract, contracting weeks, um, you know, there, able to go down. Got it. So what are some things that may predispose our patients to developing these issues you know i mean we can go down the list, the list is extensive <laughs> yeah, it, it it all comes down to nutrition mm -hmm. uh, and i mean you'll notice you know gluten allergies because gluten is an inflammatory you know um, and it's we're the only species that consumes milk 
from another species. You don't see, you know, uh, cow drinking the milk of, you know, <laughs> of a human and, mm-hmm. you know, vice versa. Um, that being said, I love cheese, you know. <laughs> it, 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 it's challenging. Um, if you are a person that suffers um, from sleep apnea or just, you know, nasal valve compromise, it's a lifestyle change. It's not just here. I give you this orthotic device. You're good. No, mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, eliminate dairy, limit the amount of dairy, uh, no spicy before you go to sleep because, uh, hyper secretion of the, the um, mucous membranes. It's just multifactorial. It's, it's not as easy as, Oh, here's the CPAP. You're fine. You're good. No, it, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a big lifestyle change. And for, for some, it's very challenging. I mean, I can't imagine living without, you know, spicy and cheese <laughs> I mean, right. things I, I enjoy thoroughly um right but you know it's so you're talking a lot about diet and it seems like mucus production is a big thing because that's probably the biggest thing that promotes mouth breathing right if there's not actually like an airway issue to begin with like if someone has a completely open airway and they're just to breathe through their mouth it's most likely just that stuffiness or nasal congestion is that usually the thing yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because you never, you go, we go to school to learn what, like algebra, geometry. We're never taught yeah. to properly breathe. Do you ever think about that? Like you're supposed to position your tongue a certain way, close your mouth, breathe through your nose, but you're, who's taught you how to breathe? Mm-hmm. I only know about this because I did, you know, my training with Dr. Olmos. And it, it's kind of interesting that we don't pay attention to the factors that actually contribute to our overall lifestyle. A lot of it originates, too, with tongue ties and lip ties, too, to make this even more complex, right? Because it has to do with suction and the tongue making it to the roof of the mouth and that broadening arch form as a person's developing. And if they have a tongue tie, how that tongue is never going to make it to the roof of the mouth and so on and so forth. So I know a lot of it is developmental, but then you have insult injury when we add in, you know, the dairy, the gluten, like all those things kind of making it even more difficult for someone to, to nasal breathe and already having this complication of tongue tie and someone, especially who's like grown up their entire life with this being the scenario and the situation and being none the wiser that there's an, a, an ideal and optimal way to breathe. You're right. No one's ever taught us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you describe um, kind of just simply how if a person is functioning optimally like our, our mouth our tongue our lips everything is how it should be how should the air like come in and out you're saying nasal breathing but like can you explain the position of the tongue and the throat and the teeth like when all of that is happening yeah you know it's interesting because um when i was doing my training with dr almost just to see the imaging of how the tongue position tongue position on the roof of the mouth because when you actually so there's a there's myofunctional therapy and you can start mm-hmm. your younger um mm-hmm. It's a very, very interesting branch of, um, I consider like orthodontics basically. Uh, and it's just positioning the tongue to your roof of your mouth. And it'll actually stimulate the upper arch to develop, um, natural broad arch form, mm-hmm. you know, the be uh, narrow arch form. Um, and when you do that, you create a great seal and you're actually, you know, the system completes itself, uh, when you breathe, um, like I said, when you breathe, there's a reason why you have nose hairs and there's mucous membranes in the nose. It's to prevent the fight off those pathogens uh, that we inhale. Uh, when you breathe straight to the lungs from your mouth, you bypass all those filters. Um, you know, 
it's God given filters. So I mean, I can't think of anything better than that other than wearing an N95 mask your entire life, but who wants to do that? So. <laughs> yeah, did that. We got, we all got a taste for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Bulletproof Hygienists. We are excited to announce our 2023 Bulletproof Summit. Mark the date on your calendar and block off patient care because we're going to be in Las Vegas, August 11th and 12th at the Wynn Hotel. Registration is live. Get all the details and jump on the early bird specials by going to bulletproofsummit.com. This is our opportunity to connect with you and your team in person and grow exponentially together. We promise you don't want to miss it and we can't wait to see you there. Sign up today. Uh, so how can we, um, I guess my next question is, you know, how can we start kind of incorporating like simple screening methods? Like it, for those of us who aren't intentionally kind of screening for TMJ, TMD issues, um, what is the easiest way or like what do you do initially to screen besides just asking the person if they have any clicking jaw joint? You know, it's just as simple as, I mean, when I go for an exam, I notice the clicks. My question isn't, uh, do you notice the clicks? Is how long have your joints been clicking? Mm -hmm. And then they'll, sometimes they'll pinpoint. I mean, I've had patients say, you know, after I got my braces done, it started clicking. I had a patient I just treated that you know, she goes to school at UF, uh, came in with, I took photos, 25 millimeter. You know, she had acute onset of, um, of uh, anterior disc displacement. And then mm -hmm. in 24 hours decompression, daytime orthotic, nighttime orthotic, she opened up the 45 uh, within eight weeks. Uh, we did a FaceTime evaluation because um, she's away at school and she's happy. Her complaint was, I couldn't eat a hot dog. And I was like, and she came with that. I was like, what the heck? And then the yeah, 24 meter <laughs> opening. I was just like, hot dog. I was like, your hygienist must love you because you can open so wide. <laughs> oh, yeah. The FMX must be so easy on you. <laughs> yeah, okay, so really it's it's IO, you know, like intra and extra oral evaluation, just kind of palpating that temporal mandibular joint, listening mm -hmm. for clicking, popping, and kind of getting curious about it and asking them about it. Yeah, I think there needs to be more awareness that when you actually hear the clickings that there's something going on, you shouldn't ignore it. Um, like think about it, if your elbow started clicking, you'd be worried. Your elbow's not supposed to click. It's a joint. Mm -hmm. Your TMJ starts clicking. I mean, you talk. You, uh, I mean, smile. There's you give this joint literally no rest. It's constantly thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you start to hear noises, um, it should. It's your body telling you something, basically. So you just kind of mentioned and gave us a brief overview of what treatment might entail if you encounter a person with that acute anterior disc displacement. Um, can you walk us through like, okay, you evaluated this person, she had an acute issue, and I, I'm assuming she was in like kind of the early stages of this problem, right? So she wasn't bone on bone in like a very permanent... No, no. Like she didn't need surgical intervention basically, right? So... Can you, can you kind of walk us through what the non-surgical intervention for this issue would be? Yes. Um, I want to highly stress that if you notice that your patient is uh, clenching and grinding uh, and they're, or they're complaining of just muscle pain, um, 
in the areas that were, uh, you know, the masseters, temporalis, any of those areas of mastication, do not prescribe muscle relaxers. I think that's one of the most irresponsible things we can do as, uh, you know, as a dental team. Um, it just disrupts and changes their entire lifestyle. I've never taken muscle relaxers, but I've seen other people on muscle relaxers and they just aren't themselves. Um, what you need to do is go to the root, the origin of the cause and treat it from there. Um, not just put a Band-Aid and say, oh, yeah, just take this muscle relaxer, you'll be fine. No, because what's going to happen is if they have underlying sleep apnea issues, it'll resume. Uh, so don't put Band-Aids on things that, you know, need casts. So... Gotcha. And it might also misrepresent kind of what's going on if it's causing, you know, the soft palate and tissues of the neck to kind of relax in addition to the masseters. Is that what you're saying? Like they can resume their sleep apnea even if they don't have it or haven't actively been having apneas for a long time? Is that what you're saying? Kind of like nightwise? Yes, exactly. Gotcha. So you mentioned a couple of like, I think you mentioned a deprogrammer. Like, what else did you prescribe for this person? So you wouldn't prescribe muscle relaxers. You would prescribe an bed. I would, yes. Okay. Um, and, like, hot moisture, that sort of thing, soft diet. So it's interesting. The debate goes back and forth between, oh, do we ice or warm compresses, hot compresses? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's, there's literature to support both. Um, for me, it's, what provides relief for the patient at that point. But you got you have to supplement it um, with an anti-inflammatory. So whether it's a non-steroidal or a steroidal, it, it, it's up to you. I mean, if you give them a medical dose pack, that's basically, you know, the big guns you're bringing out. Mm -hmm. And if you use like Motrin 800, that's for me, that's great. You're helping aid, but you also need to supplement it with some type of device because the clenching and grinding will still take place at night. And that the nighttime appliance that I like to recommend, I mean, it was taught to us by Dr. Ramos is basically it uh, holds the mandible in a fixed position, uh, slightly protrudes, slightly down and out, but it doesn't advance it significantly. That's one thing you don't want. You don't want to advance it so significantly that, you know, you're you know, super prognathic. It's just, <laughs> there, there, there is, there's a range at which you can protrude and that which you lose that tonus in the airway. Um, so, and the great thing about new imaging now is you can take a CBCT, place the uh, orthotic device, get the diagnostic imaging, take it before with the device, without the device, and you'll see the difference uh, in the airway. Uh, and that's the whole point of this is you can actually, um, you can quantify it. You can see it. And not only that, the patient will feel a difference because when the patient is getting that good night's sleep, uh, they feel refreshed, they have more energy, and B, they don't have any pain because they're not clenching and grinding. They're not activating those muscles um, of mastications. So is that is that how you treated the patient that you were just talking about? Yeah. So we um, basically, okay. when she came in, uh, she came in with her dad, we gave her a daytime and a nighttime orthotic device. I told her she had to switch her foods up. Um, and actually I do combination, um, I, I do things very, very, I'm over the top. Uh, so I'll do a combination of nasal dilators. Um, and then I'll also, uh, do a flow nase just to open up the airway. 
just to give and I, and um because everything is comprehensive multifactorial so i want the air i want the nasal valves to be open as wide as i can so they'll wear those um they wear those uh it's called uh mute mute rings is what i tip, typically uh prescribe flow nase um and we'll wear the daytime and the nighttime orthotics and then no dairy those spicy foods at night. I mean, it's a it's a whole regimen, and I I usually hold them accountable. I have them write a uh, a log of what they eat, because I mean, you you spend a lot of money for this TMJ uh, sleep apnea therapy. Uh, if you don't notice an improvement, it's because you weren't following holistic rules. So it's yeah. Gotcha. If the person, you know, undergoes this therapy with you and isn't noticing like a long-term um, improvement either in the position of the disc or their symptoms or both, what would be like next steps? Would we look at referring to someone who specializes in surgical something or other? Like what would the next step be? So what I've learned is that you have to, there are certain cases that I can jump on immediately and certain cases I have to uh, quarterback to the ENT mm-hmm. because I see um, an obese patient, diabetic, uh, and just, you know, it's, you know, that it's just not going to be a simple conversation and, Hey, just don't eat these foods and wear this at night and do this and that, you know, it's not going to happen that easily. Uh, and there may be uh, deviation in the septum. You need to punt that to an ENT, a well-versed ENT, because of ENTs that are, you know, knowledgeable and current with the minimally invasive techniques to open up, um, you know, a deviated septum. And then there are old school techniques where you just go and you just obliterate the entire sinus. Um, so you have this, it's, everyone has to be well-qualified qualif- and well-versed in the modern techniques in order for this to happen. You can't have an old school um ENT and a new school dentist that knows how to treat this. Everyone has to be aligned. Like, you know, with any profession, there are, there are great surgeons and there are terrible surgeons. There are great general dentists and there are terrible general dentists. Everyone has to be aligned and be on the same plane in order to, you know, deliver great uh, treatment. Agreed. And I can see how this can quickly become multi-specialty, you know, as if you are having to like to really improve the airway situation, having to treat a tongue tie, you know, do something like, I know this is advanced and I don't know how commonly this is practiced anymore, but I know a lot of my patients have had um, like uvulectomies and tonsillectomies and that sort of thing. Like I can see how this gets very complex very quickly. Are those still things that are commonly practiced to like, is this the still- very interesting part is uh, a lot of studies are showing that uh, you, you shouldn't be performing the tonsillectomies um, and the adenectomies. You shouldn't be removing those because those are the primary organs that help, you know, they fight off infection. They're letting the body know that something's going wrong. Um, so mm-hmm. you, you should see, that's why I'm saying that the newer ENTs, the younger guys that are well-versed in this modern medicine mm-hmm. will know that, Hey, we got to go, in there and open up the valve some and there are minimally invasive techniques that you can go in uh, and you're an outpatient uh, you go in throw in some locals some of them you don't even need to be you know generally sedated for you just go in local and then you're out and then a little bit of healing and that's it 
But yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's cool. Um, okay. And in regards to like tools for actually diagnosing where that disc is, I'm assuming like a CT is the best thing that we can use, right? CBCT. MRI. MRI. Is- MRI. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, but just be careful when you get that because usually health insurance vary. So they'll cover one every X amount of years. So when you order that, I mean, just have your ENT or your OMFS that's well-versed in reading, uh, you know, the report. Uh, only read or order what you can know and understand. Don't take a CT and think that you can read it or ask your colleague and say, hey, I just took the CT. Can you tell me what's on here? And like, that's the worst thing you could do. So um, just know the technologies that are out there and and quarterback it to who, you know, if you know they're making the devices and you're good at appliances, um, then, you know, get the interpretation from the MRI from ENT and then mm-hmm. discuss and then, you know, you make your appliance. Got it. And then kind of I want to circle back a little bit here because I know that you said you designed the bite to the TMJs right? Not the other way around. So are there instances though, like the short term sounds like there's a lot of palliative things like surgical and like really extensive cases, but are there situations where like for permanent relief, you do need to open that bite and that means orthodontics and restorative and that sort of thing. Like to put, to, to make sure that TMJ is in the proper position long-term and that continue being displaced and there isn't this chronic musculoskeletal issue there a lot of times that you see when orthodontics and that sort of thing you're treating the malocclusion as well um you know it's funny it's a very very complex question um because as a restorative dentist um you have the patients that want 10 20 veneers uh and they want the best looking smile they don't care about the con condo position and where things are at. This is why you got to be careful what you touch because once you open Pandora's box, what was in Pandora's box doesn't want to go back in. So mm-hmm. if you have a patient that has slight clicking and you restore them and you think you're going to, oh, yeah, let me just open one millimeter and the posterior translate to three, we're fine. For a certain amount of demographic, they'll be fine. And they'll be fine. Why? Because the body adapts. That's the beauty of, of the human body. You can do crazy things. You know, I could put earrings in gauges and just stretch my earlobes as big as I want. And I'll be fine. It won't hurt. But there's some people that you can do certain things and the body will not tolerate. It. And the body will let you know, like, hey, stop this. This hurts. Like, don't do this. And when you the certain patients and you, you open the bite, you start messing with the bite, then that's when things get complicated because they had underlying clickings reputations that you didn't um, pick up on on the initial visit you overlooked and now that you introduce a new occlusal scheme which wasn't before now the patient's more sensitive um, they had an underlying sleep apnea which wasn't diagnosed before and now you have this patient that is in chronic pain it's a joint's not seated in the proper position you had anterior disc displacement prior to you coming in and now it's flared up it's it's interesting because you become so, at first, you become so na- naive. You want to do these home run cases that you think that, 
you know, do all these veneers and this and that. And then the more you learn, the more you get advanced learning. It's just that, wow, like, how did that case work that I did eight years ago? The body, you know, adapts though. So it's interesting to know all these different cases. No, I do not restore every patient to, you know, 12 o'clock position that when you invite down, everything is, is sitting, you know, I don't, but I don't touch the cases that I shouldn't be. If I hear patients, mm-hmm. nah, that's, it, it's about hand picking, cherry picking the cases that you know are going to be good and staying away from the cases that are red flags. And for me, um, I think for the general practitioner that that might be the challenge in itself. So I'm fortunate enough to work in a multi-specialty environment. So I have you, I have Dr. Dudley, you know, who's board certified in sleep dentistry, like a lot of really high level qualifications to be diagnosing and treating these issues. But for a hygienist or a dentist who doesn't work in an atmosphere where they're in close proximity with a specialist that they can, you know, just pop in the chair and meet the patient um, and do an evaluation chair side, who should they be looking to refer to if they see any of these issues? Like who, what kind of specialists, what kind of qualifications should they be looking for? Who should they be referring to for these issues? That also is a challenging question. Um, (laughs) And and I'll I'll be honest with you because uh, I clench and I grind severely Mm -hmm. and I wanted to get to the root cause, but there were no dentists in my area that were well-versed, even the oral surgeons that, you know, it's, we all have this misconception that, you know, if you're an oral surgeon that you should know everything about anything. And then if you're periodontist, you should know everything about gum grafting and all this and that, but you'd be surprised. It all depends upon the education you receive and the continuing education that supports what you know to this day, because Mm -hmm. you graduated top of your class in 2010 and taken the minimal amount of continuing education. Well, let me tell you, buddy, since 2010, 13 years later, you know, the CBCTs, the clarity is ridiculous. The incorporation of intraoral scanners and mills, like the technology has significantly increased exponentially past 13 years. And if you haven't kept up with technology, you got left behind. It doesn't matter if you graduate number one in your class at that point anymore. Uh, it's about that other guy who may have graduated five or six in his class, but he was taking, you know, 50 credits a year because he loved what he was doing. He loved his job and just wanted to stay current and stay on top. Mm-hmm. So my advice would be um, to just, if you don't know anyone, look under their their bio and their intro, and that should say it all. I mean, see what their training was afterwards. If if it's a few sentences afterwards, like, oh, you know, I uh, graduate X in this class, and he loves to cook, that's it, then chances are maybe they're not as well-versed in the modern techniques and approaches to treating your TM, TMJ, TMD. Um, are there specific, are there specific like, uh, educators or people that, okay, something as simple as like following them on Instagram or like, or any that is open to hygienists and dentists kind of thing that we could attend to learn more about this. I know it's a super complex, um, issue and there's so much to talk about. There's so much to learn about here. Um, I can think of one, but I'm just, uh, and I'll, I'll share that, but I'm just wondering are there any recommendations where we can kind of like start learning more about identifying and treating and referring for these issues? Yeah. 
I mean, um, so I, re I received a lot of my training from Clinical Master Series. Um, I basically took all their courses and they give for dentists uh, a very great thorough and in-depth um, TMJ, TMD, uh, TMD course. And then um, if you really want to dive off the deep end, Dr. Stephen Almos, he has over 60 sleep centers and TMJ pain clinics worldwide. Um, hey, the guy's amazing. He's brilliant. Uh, his course hand out, hands down changed my life. Uh, so anyone that's been trained by Dr. Almost, I feel like is he's up to date and current with their training. That's incredibly helpful. And I, I can say kind of on my end, and I know that Sharice will also vouch for this, is she and I attended the inaugural Integrative Dental Medicine Conference, and it was incredible last year in Tampa. It was a two-day um, continuing education event. Um, you know, everyone from oral surgeons to um, general dentists to, you know, full mouth restorative dentists, people on all kinds of boards of all kinds of qualifications, you know, sleep specialists, CNTs um, spoke at this conference. And it was so cool because there were a lot of dentists. There were some MDs and there were a lot of hygienists there. And I learned so much about airway TMD issues and a lot of the the origins and the ways to treat even as like surgical you know like really extensive surgical interventions like it was a very very interesting thing and I know that that is coming up um I believe in April of this year it's 2023 it's going to be Tampa again and I can definitely put the link to this event um somewhere on Spotify. I don't I don't know how it can be linked, but I'll make sure that the listeners can gain access to it because it was an incredible event for me. I learned so much. I took like a hundred pages of notes and never looked back through them, but this is a, a really good time to kind of refamilize myself with this. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything that you feel we kind of left out or could add to kind of make this a more comprehensive conversation? Um or any additional kind of resources you want to leave us with? Any last thoughts? Uh, no, I guess my biggest advice to, um, you know, all the hygienists, uh, dentists or any auxiliary staff teammates, uh, that are listening to the podcast is, you know, just never stop learning because once you feel comfortable and you're stagnant in your career, things change really quick mm -hmm. uh, behind, um, you have to stay current, um, with the technology and the modern techniques and approaches. Uh, I can almost, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to revisit this in, you know, two to five years. This may actually become a specialty for dentists. You know, I could see it uh, because dental anesthesiology is a specialty and mm -hmm. I think um, TMD and sleep apnea may eventually branch off into a separate specialty itself because it's, it's very, very complex and vast um, and it's, I mean, as a restorative dentist treating those cases, it gets overwhelming switching hats from one to the other. But it's great, though, because if you can treat the one patient in your seat and you don't have to quarterback, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you just run it and touch down. Um, but I think uh, it may be overwhelming for many dentists to just incorporate that into their practices because it, it's a big commitment to sit there and learn. Um, 100%. 100%. But that's a great point. You know, in medicine, we're gifted in that there's always new research emerging. We are always discovering new things. It keeps it interesting. Um, 
this learning, you know, I, to me, that's what made me interested in any medical field to begin with. You know, it's, it's intriguing. There's so much to learn all the time. You can never get bored unless you kind of choose that and choose to, you know, uh, thank you so much for listening and being with us this week. Uh, don't forget that we have our Bulletproof Summit coming up August 2023. Yeah. Oh, it's at the Win in Las Vegas, August 11th and 12th. If you have never been, this one is an event that you don't want to miss. It is a comprehensive, vast um, event. I can say that confidently having um, attended the last couple of years, but a really, really cool team experience. Uh, if you've never been, I highly encourage you to do some research and contact us. We hope to see you there. We're really excited about it. And also, if you want any more information about TMA, TMD issues, or you want to make any podcast suggestions, please download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene and shoot us a message on there. We will see you all next week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you. 